David says in Psalms, if God be for me, who can be against me? It's an extraordinary thing to know that God is on our side. Psalm 27 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the strength of my life. So why should I fear? Though 10,000 fall at my side, yet will I be strong, for he is for me. And that's really the power of the gospel message, the power of God's truth. That because of Jesus Christ, and because we've come to God through Jesus Christ, he's on your side. He's for you. He wants to work in your life. And I trust that as you come here to the rock, maybe you've just begun tonight, maybe you've been coming for a while, you begin to go deeper in your understanding of all that God has for your life personally. I wanted to start off tonight, first of all, by just thanking so many of the people who make this service happen, our sound crew that sets up this equipment, our childcare staff that comes every week and sets everything up, our band, our ushers and greeters, our refreshment people, the people up in the room that do the slides, everything that goes on here is because of the sacrifice of so many young men and women who give of their time, who leave work early on Fridays to get here and bring all this stuff up. There's a giant cave underneath this school that you don't know about. That's what the key is to, the door, the secret door, where we store all my money down there. <clears throat> I'm lying about the money, but I'm not lying about the cave. It's a big, like, cave off underneath kind of the pavement out there. Secret tunnels. That's where we're going to meet someday when they come after us. We'll have to see the catacombs. But anyway, it's a lot of work. These guys bring this up every week and then they tear it down and put it back in the cave. The bat cave. So I wanted to say thank you. Thank you very much for all that you guys are doing. Tonight I'm going to talk about something that um, I've never talked about at The Rock. Let's see, it'll be this January. We're in January. I think it's actually tonight. It's the 12th. Well, it's the 11th, so tomorrow night, because we used to meet on Saturdays. Nine years ago, we started The Rock. Nine years ago. Yeah. I am going to talk about a subject entitled Work with a Purpose. I've never talked about what most of us are going to spend much of our life doing, and that is your job. And I've been thinking about this for a while and thought, you know, Lord, the Bible has so much to say about it. And I think there's so much misunderstanding about it. It'd probably be a good idea to cover let me give you just a couple little facts. If you start working when you're 20 years old and you work till you're 70, now I know it's not perfect, but we're just going to pretend, that's 50 years. <clears throat> working 45 hours a week, 52 weeks a year for 50 years, comes to 11 and a half years of working. That's the actual amount of time that you're going to spend on your job. Now, of course, over that 50 years, it seems like a lot longer because you go there every day, five days a week, 
for 50 years. But you add it all together, and it's 11 and a half straight years. It's like doing, for some people, hard time. It's a little bit, for, for many people, work is kind of like being locked in Folsom. Or out on uh, that island that they don't use anymore. <clears throat> Alcatraz. But the Bible has a lot to say about work. And your job and what you do. And how you do it. And so I thought it would be a really good idea, since so many of you are so young, and you've got 50 years ahead of you, or 20 years ahead, 30 years, 40 years ahead of you. It might be a really good idea to get the right perspective for the rest of your life. Because for many people, work is like being in prison. They view work as a curse. And nothing could be further from the truth biblically. God created us to work and be productive and to glorify Him by the way we do our job. Your work matters to God. And how you do it, your work and how you do it, is a very spiritual thing. A lot of people think that the only spiritual kind of work is like being a pastor, being a missionary, or doing church work. But your job is just as important to God is anything I do. And how you do that job is just as important to God as anything I might do or any other person in full-time ministry. And I want to show you that this evening from the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, God has just created the earth. God has created the animals. God has created the garden. And now God created man. And then he says to man, He says, I placed man in the Garden of Eden to work it, to tend it, and to care for it. Now, a little chronology here. Man has not yet sinned. The serpent has not yet tempted Eve. Eve has not yet gone to Adam. Adam has not yet broken God's law. God gave Adam work before sin entered the world. Now, it's really interesting. God didn't make the garden and then put him in and say, loaf. So a lot of people think. Let's be really honest, okay? I realize we live in a really hedonistic, pleasure-seeking society. Nothing gets more boring faster than meaninglessness. Nothing gets more boring faster than the lack of meaningful productivity and doing something with your life. See the, see, the devil lies to us. His great scheme, he lied to Eve, he lies to us. He came to Eve and he said, hey Eve, God didn't really say you should eat from that tree. See, God knew that if you eat, you'll be like God. So he tricked her. And the devil, he's constantly trying to trick us. He's trying to trick you. He's trying to make you think that work is a pain. That work is a necessary evil. That work is pointless. That if only I had a lot of money, if only I I would how to be a millionaire or, you know, that Howie Mandel show, whatever it is, let's make a deal or something like that. Or is that Bob Barker? Well, I forget. Deal or no deal. That's it. Let's make a deal is Bob Barker. Deal or no. You didn't think I'd remember. You thought I was too old to remember that, didn't you? But I got it. Oh, it's not the price is right. Okay, who used to do let's make a deal? 
Thank you, Monty Hall. There we go. I knew there'd be an older person out there who would know. Or someone who really likes cable reruns. Thank you for that clarification. I'm going to start trying that new Alzheimer's drug they just came out with here recently. So God made the garden, this gigantic. Now, this wasn't your normal backyard garden. Let's just make that really clear. This was uh, lots and lots and lots and lots of acres of garden. And God put Adam in it. He said, Adam, work it, tend it, take care of it. Don't sit around in your lawn chair with a bud light. While the grapes fall in your mouth. That's not what he told Adam. He said, work it. Tend it. Experience. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I worked on a farm in the summers. Just because it paid better than anything else I could get at that age. There's something very significant and very meaningful about going out on a tractor. Because it's tractors now, in those days it wasn't. You ride on it, you till up the ground, and then after you get the clods all broken up, I won't describe all the whole process to you, you go out and you plant seed, and then you wait, you watch it grow, and you go out and tend it. Or to go out and bale the hay. And, and you're just doing so. You go from one thing to the next to the next, and you're doing it with your own two hands. There's something incredibly rewarding about it. There really is. I've experienced it. Many of you have experienced it. God wanted Adam to experience a fulfilling and meaningful life. And your work is very, very significant to God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 11, I printed some of these off um, in different versions because I thought they would be so striking to you. Paul's admonition is this in the New Testament. Stay calm. Mind your own business. Do your own work. You've heard all this before, but reminder never hurts. Work with your hands. The Bible says in the New Living Translation, let me read it to you because I like it even better. I had it marked and my little marker fell out. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11, Paul writes this. This should be your ambition. To live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we commanded you. Now, I'm going to get to the second part of this in a moment, but work with your own hands. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see the benefit and the blessing of work. Let me give you three common conceptions today. A friend of mine sent this to me recently uh, in an email. Common views of work. The first is the entitlement ethic. Work matters only so long as I'm being rewarded in the measure and timetable I want. This job owes me. There's a lot of people with that mentality. A lot of Christians with that mentality. Let me step out and and really put my head on the chopping block and say a lot of union workers with that mentality. Work owes me. It owes me. And I'm going to do just enough to get by. I have a friend who used to work for the John Deere plant in Dubuque, Iowa. Dubuque, Iowa is an interesting town. John Deere 
has a lot to do with that town. And when I was growing up, of course, it was a really big deal, the John Deere plant. A lot of people were employed. My friend, he came to Christ. And, uh, and we're going to get to this in just a moment, some of these principles. But he began to read his Bible and he began to realize that God wanted to change his life, that God wanted him to be a representative of Christ. And so he began to ask himself, so what would that mean on my job? Well, he began to read some verses we're going to read together this evening. Here's what happened. His mentality and his attitude changed so much in his job that he regularly had his eight-hour quota done in three hours every day. Three hours! Three hours every day he was done with what everyone else was supposed to get done in eight. Because he was diligent, he was faithful, he was reliable, he was enthusiastic, he realized, I'm working for God. The foreman came to him after about a month and said, you have to knock this off because you're what we call a quota buster and you're making all of us look bad and there's a lot of people here getting really angry at you. I could tell you story after story. I worked for a while after I got out of high school for the union on the oil fields in Galveston, Texas. What I saw, what I witnessed was unbelievable. From a Midwestern kid coming from Iowa farm country where you bust your butt, I was blown away when the foreman came. Look, just I was a laborer. That's all I could get on was a laborer. So, so I got my first union card and I went down to the shop. Well, it was called, sort of a call to shop. And you'd wait for him to call your number so you could go out and work. You'd had to wait. And you had to have a friend recommend you. So my half-brother recommended me, got me in, so I'd go down and sit. One day they called my name. Once they call your name, you're in. So they gave me a shovel. I was a laborer. There was laborers, carpenters, pipe fitters. You kind of climbed up the ladder. There was one more I forget. I was at the bottom. I was 18. It was 1975. I was making $8.50 an hour. This was mind-blowing. I mean, most I'd ever made before that was 275. And the guy gives me a shovel and he goes, okay, just go out. Okay, now we're talking thousands of acres of these massive pipes and smokestacks. And all. He says, just go out and sit somewhere and get lost. We don't really have work for you for a couple of weeks, but we're going to pay you anyway. Just find a place to hide. And if anybody important walks by, look, dig. Wherever you are, just start digging. I'm not lying. Now, now I don't want you to get me wrong. There's a, a lot of union people that work very hard. But there is a mentality in this nation. There's a mentality among Christians. You owe me. You owe me. I'm going to give as little as I can for as much as I can get. It's an entitlement mentality. Then there's the work is an identity ethic. The sense of personal value tied to my career accomplishments. My career is my first love in life. No sacrifice is too great along the path to career success. There's people like that. Equally wrong. Equally wrong. Particularly for a Christian. And we'll get to this in a moment. But their whole life, their whole identity comes from, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer. Now, I won't name particular countries, but I know of two countries that you'd be familiar with. Uh, ethnic Individuals that come to this nation that strive very hard to be doctors and lawyers. And you are really a second class citizen. And I, I have, how do I know this? How do I know? This? Am I making a judgment? No. I have friends from those exact countries who have told me this. 
One of them is the second most populous nation in the world. And he said, Mark, my friends, my friends, my family's friends, they all gather at these parties. We'd all sit around and eat our ethnic food together. And we had friends from Webster City. I went all these friends. And it was always, is your son going to be a doctor or a lawyer? Is your daughter going to be a doctor or a lawyer? Because nothing else could compete. Your whole identity was wrapped up in what kind of car you were able to afford, what kind of home you afforded, and if you were making a lot of money. <clears throat> and that's the individual whose identity comes from their personal accomplishment. And then there's the one I mentioned already, the necessary evil ethic. I don't like my job, I don't want my job, but I have to do it. I'm stuck. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. So I didn't write that as my friend wrote that. I punch the clock and I do enough to avoid the pink slip. And there's those kinds of individuals. There's a lot of Christians that are missing what God has for you with your job. So let me just cover a couple of things with you here today. All right? We're going to go uh, do this series for several weeks. First thing that I want you to understand is that God, I already said it, is that God created you to work, to be productive, to glorify Him by the way we do your, our job. Now, let, let, me, let me say it another way. Okay, now, I, I know I'm talking to a bunch of young people here and I don't want to cause any of you to get your mind off track for a moment, but... If I were to tell you for a moment that God created you to have sex, you would all go, I'm there. That's, that sounds really good to me. Generally speaking, other than individuals who get a very perverted view of sex, again, I'm talking about sex within a marriage relationship where there's trust and love and commitment. It's a beautiful, awesome, marvelous, wonderful thing. And maybe I'll have a friend of mine come and talk about it sometime. The bottom line is, Nobody here is thinking sex is a chore. Did you know that work was meant to be as fulfilling as sex? When God created Adam and Eve, he told them, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, rule the earth. Adam, tend the garden. It was all before the fall. God means work. He created you to be productive. There's nothing wrong with working hard. In fact, there's everything right with working hard and finding a sense of real satisfaction in a job well done. And <clears throat> that's different than finding satisfaction in how much you're getting paid for what you do. And this is really important that you understand. I am... Um, of course, you've got to remember when I say some of these things, I've been walking with the Lord a long time, like longer than most of you have been alive, 33 years now. So I've been, I've been following the Lord. I've been reprogramming my way of thinking, re, uh, refining my perspective with the Word of God and trying to embrace the Bible as my way of life for those 33 years. And, and, and there are many habits that I've gotten deeply ingrained into my life, good habits. I haven't arrived. I'm still trying to be like Christ, but I'm... Generally speaking, maybe a lot farther along than many of you here. I don't say that like to put you down. I say I'm a lot older. That's all I'm saying. I find tremendous joy. When I was getting ready to um, go to Faith Walkers this year, I had a lot of things I had to do. My Christmas day was spent from 5 a.m. in the morning 
till about 5, 8, 5 p.m. that evening, packing everything for our family. And I honestly found a lot of joy as I unwrapped every tube of medicine and every gauze roll for Jessica and figured out just how I'm going to get it in this bag. And I did it as quickly and efficiently as I could. And I found joy in it. I wasn't getting paid a dime. There's a sense of satisfaction. I want to attack the thing. I want to get it. I want to get it in my head. Get my arms around it. And bam, look at that. Look what got done. That's what we're talking about when we talk about a sense of satisfaction and pride in a job well done. And secondly, you know, I'm going to get to all of this in a moment, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I knew I was doing it for God. I wasn't doing this for Kathy or Jessica. It's like, I'm doing this for Christ. I'm going to be rewarded for this. He's my boss. He's my master. And this brings him glory. I also know, I also know, I'm going to get to this in a moment, that what my sons and daughters have grown up seeing has given them a foundation for life to build upon. See, because if my sons, and, and I'm not a perfect man, and they can attest to that, my sons who are here in this church, and my daughters, I'm going to talk about my sons for a moment, They've grown up watching their dad. You can't help it. Your life's on display all the time. And they've seen, I've got a lot of flaws. But they've seen their dad busting his hump to serve his wife and daughters and sons. Whether it's getting, adding a quart of oil at 5 a.m. to my son's car or making sure it's full or changing the flat tire or getting the, sho- the, the, the driveway shoveled myself or going to get the groceries for anybody else's up, I find joy in working productively because I know I'm having an impact on eternity and on people. My children are going to be impacted. They are going to catch what it means to love and to lay one's life down and to find real joy. But if all they ever hear, and there's a lot of dads like this, is, Yeah, these stinking women. I'm always doing everything for these stupid, lazy women. I got to do this, and I got to do that. And what am I, your slave? Sometimes I felt like that. I'm not saying I haven't felt like that. I'm not saying I don't have another man that lives inside of me called the old Mark that I don't have to punch in the face on a regular basis. And I do punch him hard. Figuratively speaking. Unless you think I'm into something weird. I'm very hard on him. Work is a God-honoring ambition in your life. It's God-honoring. Second thing, remember who you're working for and do it with all your heart and a great attitude. Let me show you something in the book of Colossians or uh, Ephesians. I want to read you the one in Ephesians. Colossians, Ephesians are similar, but I want to read this one. This is Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly master with deep respect and reverence. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Work hard. 
but not just to please your master when they are watching. As a slave of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord will reward each one of you for the good you do, whether you're a slave or free. That is profound. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever looked at that verse and said, you know what, Lord? My attitude needs a kick in the butt. God, I need to change my perspective. You're not working for so-and-so. You're not working for such-and-such a company. You are working for Christ. And he put these people that you work for over you. And we're going to get to that in a couple of weeks. What do you do when you have a moron for a boss? We'll get to that. Because the Bible talks about that. Okay? Really does. But I want you to notice the attitude that we're supposed to have. Work with enthusiasm. You know what enthusiasm means? We kind of know what it looks like, but literally it means to be filled with God. Everything God does, he does with enthusiasm. Did you know that? He's filled with godness, yes, but he does it with a sense of zeal. Here we mean the sense of zeal. He really goes at it. He really takes delight in what he does. Not because he's going to get greatly rewarded for it. Not because the whole world's going to bow down and say, oh, wow, you're an amazing magician. Because it's righteous, it's righteous to be zealous about what you're doing. To do it with all your heart. To do it with all your heart. And to do it with a great attitude. Let me show you um, a couple of the versions that I found today. You servants, obey your boss, your owner. Work for them as hard as you can. Work for them at the same as if you were working for Christ. Do not work hard only when your owner sees you. You would be doing this just to please men. Work as you who work for Christ. Do what God wants you to do with all your heart. Be happy as you work. Do your work as for the Lord, not for men. Remember this, whatever good thing you do, the Lord will pay you for it. It is the same to the Lord. If you are a servant owned by someone or if you work for pay. This is the message. Servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servant doing what God wants you to do. And with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter what happens, who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. Good work will get you good pay from the master, regardless of whether you're slave or free. I'll tell you, this is, this is revolutionary. This is revolutionary. And I came to Christ as about 19 years of age. And the, and the first job that I had at that time, I have worked, I got my first job was about nine. I was back in the olden days where there were child labor laws. I'm joking, but I still got my first job was about nine. My job was sorting pop bottles. Yes, back when there were pop bottles in wooden cartons and you got two cents a bottle for them. And I used to sort pop bottles in the back of Mr. Peterson's store in Sunbury, Iowa. I was nine. First thing I ever bought was a BB gun. 
Second thing I bought was a vase for my mother. The third thing I bought with my money was a denim jacket. Yep, and I wore it all the time, just like now. I was 19. I gave my life to Christ, and I got a job in a machine shop. Now, I'd never been trained as a machinist. I'm pretty good with my hands. I have pretty, pretty good eye-hand coordination. And a dear Christian friend, my hippie Christian friend, that, in, that you've heard my story, had the same car that I had. He worked at this machine shop. He got me a job there. And I want to tell you, as I read the Bible, my passion, and it's still this today, was God used me the greatest possible ways that you can, which means I need to do all that you ask me to do. I want, to, I want you to refine my attitude, my perspective. I want you to be able to freely work within me every way that you want. Work your will in my life. And I'm going to cooperate with you. Which, of course, I understood just like anybody who has, you know, uh, 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 even a sixth grade education. That means Mark's going to need to change. My determination was to become the fastest production lathe operator in the shop. And that's what I became. There were a lot of guys there with lots of experience, years of experience. I just drank in everything they taught me. I got cutting oil all over my face. I didn't really like that. This was a big deal to me. I mean, there was some sacrifice. When I was in high school, I had acne really bad. The last thing you want when you're 19 is cutting oil all over your face. And I wear this big plastic apron and these ugly safety goggles and I'd be standing there all day and I had on the little ledge, my wife can testify, I still have the verse cards in my home, I'll bring them sometime, with oil stains on them. And I would sit them on the window ledge and and in those days it was before you had like the little spiral recipe card, they were just three by five cards. I would cut a hole in the corner, put a key ring in it and I'd turn them as I'd do my production lathe and I would turn out within a couple months, I was turning out more piecework per hour than anybody in the shop at that time for that particular job. Why? Because I was so motivated. Lord, you're going to get glory from this. I'm not trying to be, I'm better than you. That's not it. I want them to see, wow, there's something different about this guy. He's not even getting paid as much as these other guys. But look at what he's doing. A little bit like Joseph. How he served the master so well that then the prison guard entrusted him with the keys. Because everything Joseph did prospered. Because he worked for God. A number of years later, we newly married. My wife and I got a job cooking at a sorority. My daughter Celeste is an honorary Alpha Chi. She may be the only child. We were going to actually have her born at Alpha Chi. We were going to have a home birth in Alpha Chi Omega House at Iowa State University. But she was coming out like this. That doesn't work at home. Butt and foot first doesn't work. <laughs> it's called a footling breach. So at the last moment, we had to go to the hospital. And, well, we knew that several weeks in advance because they took that ultrasound stuff. And we had to have a cesarean. We were cooking in a sortie. I'd never done anything like this except breakfast cooking at Ramadi Inn. Now, Kathy and I, we were in charge of a $50,000 food budget for the girls in the sorority. 
We had to come up with all the menus. We had to order the food. We had to prepare it. And the girls, they, they just, this really changed my view of sororities, by the way, in a good way. They were really dear young ladies. They had these little bells on their tables. They'd ring for their waiters if they wanted more stuff. So my wife and I, we went for the interview and there was a couple gals interviewing us because they have to kind of run the deal. And, and we said, just very upfront, I said, listen, she can bake stuff. I can cook. I've done breakfast cooking. She can bake. But we've never done anything like this. I can promise you we'll give you our very best. And we believe that with God's help, we can do a really good job for you. The girl said, well, she said, last year, the cook left us went $10,000 over the budget. When he goes $10,000 over the budget, we have to stay. None of us can go home. We have to stay during the summer till that's paid off. That's how we run the business of the sorority. So we really can't have you go over. I said, I'll stay within your budget. I said, now in order to do that, we may have to make some choices, ladies. Choices about what kind of food you eat, what you don't eat. Just so you know that up front. That's fine. Wow, the lessons that I learned. Do you want to know? Have you ever tried to please 50 women? (laughs) With food? So my wife and I, okay, I'm like, uh, I'm 23. She's 22. That's right. I was 23 once. And Kathy was 22. And she's pregnant. Expecting our first baby. And we lived in the sorority in the basement in a two-room cinder block room. There was a living room and a bedroom and a bathroom in between. We shared the laundry facility with all the other girls in Alpha Chi. And when they'd spray up in the kitchen for cockroaches, they'd all come down to our place and live. Yeah, it was beautiful. I tell you some neat stories about that, too. And God was training us because, listen... God knew in my situation, my, my circumstances, that I felt called to be a pastor. You want to talk about dealing with criticism? Try making 50 women happy with food. We had this comment sheet. Well, they wanted it. So they had this comment sheet out in the hall. Hate peas. Can't stand peas. No more peas. Love peas. Have more peas. Hated the fish. Loved the fish. And it was back and forth and back and forth. So Kathy and I, we sat down and we learned so many lessons there. We said, Kathy, she and I said, we want to be the best cook and cookess that they've ever had. We want to be a fragrant aroma of Jesus Christ. You know, because what our main goal here, our main goal here is to become professional cooks. Our main goal is to do our work under the Lord and win these young people to Christ. Or at least make a deep impression upon them for Christ. So, Kathy and I sat down and we said to each other, we said, in those days, Iowa State had four quarters, not two semesters. They had four quarters. So we said, let's make one menu and they can eat each meal four times in a year. If they whine about that, that's the breaks. That's the best we can do. And then we began ordering the food. Then Celeste was born in, uh, I forget, February. Is it February, Celeste? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> February. And... Uh, and we used to sit her on the counter in her little bassinet little seat. And she'd be all smiling. And the girls, they were so pumped that they had a little girl living. Because they never had that. I don't know if any other frat or sorority in all the history of Iowa State has ever had a baby living there before. And um, 
We were invited to their Christmas. I had just done an album in 1979, and we were invited to sing at their Christmas thing that they had, and we got to share Christ. And then we had girls coming down wanting to ask us about, so how do you want to raise this child? Because they were in child development. And so we'd share with them our goals with our children. And then the end of the year came, and we were right on budget, and the girls came to us in tears and said, we'd love to have you back. And we said, we're sorry. We, you know, we're not going to be able to come back next year. But boy, we worked hard. Because we remembered who we were working for. And I remember when I got my first sales job selling auto parts. I'd never done much with cars. I mean, I knew an oil filter. I knew a tire. I knew what a door was. I knew what an air filter was, a windshield wiper blade. I knew what wiper fluid was and a can of oil and a battery. You know, spark plugs. I knew that kind of stuff. But I'd never really done a lot working on cars. And we, Kathy and I desperately needed uh, money. It was during the recession of the late 70s and early 80s. And uh, I got this job. And, I just, and, the, and, the, and the guy who hired me lied to me about the company. He told me the company was doing twice as much business a month as it was. He told me it was doing 20000 a month. I eventually found the books within two weeks, and it was doing $8,000 a month. He told me I would make 6% of whatever the store was doing, and he, and he, and he d- defined it as a salary. So six times 20000 is what? $1,200 a month. So this is great. I've never made that much before. I have two children now. Come to find out, it's not a salary at all. It's straight commission, 6% of whatever the store is doing. It's doing $8,000, $480. That's a little tough to live on. Miraculously, we did it. I actually got a night job at a video arcade for about 25 extra hours a week. And I can tell you as God is my witness that in both my day job and my night job, I brought a spirit to that place that hadn't been there before. And I went out, and man, did God train me to trust Him. Did God train me to pray? I started to pray for that business. God, I pray for this auto parts store that you will bless them, and that you will bless their business, and that, Lord, you will help me be winsome and develop the kind of skills that I need to go out and make cold calls on people that I don't know and supply them with the things they need, and get back and fill my orders and load the car and get the product to the customer. Help me to learn how to think of the customer first. And I learned so many things in the end of that year. Store had never done this. It was doing $20,000 a month. I'd never sold before in my life. But I understood Work. I understood who was my boss. I understood this greater purpose for which I'm doing my job. And God blessed. And, and oh, I could tell you, I'll get to my boss stories in a couple weeks. These were not pleasant places, some of them, to work. Learn to find satisfaction in a job well done. Give your best. Develop and increase your skill. Develop and increase your skill. Second job I had selling after this auto parts store is I went to work at a car dealership in their parts department because it paid more money and it wasn't a commission. And I sat down with the boss at my other job and I told him, his name was Don. I said, Don, I didn't just quit on him. I said, look, Don, I worked there about three years. I said, Don, I just need to have an honest conversation with you, okay? 
I feel that I've done everything I can for your store. We're one of five auto parts stores in this town. We're the only auto parts store that doesn't have next day delivery. We're the only auto store that doesn't have a machine shop. We're the only auto parts store that doesn't have more than one truck to deliver parts. I, this is no lie. I was competing with five other stores. Five. One of them had three trucks whose girls delivered the parts in bikinis. Every other store besides mine had a machine shop attached where you could send in the engine to have the, the heads fitted or reboard the, the, the cylinder shaft where the pistons go. I won't describe it all to you. We could have head work done or machine work done. We didn't have that. Every other one could get the part you needed the next day. We had to wait three days. I was up against it every way you could imagine. So I did everything I, that I possibly could. And I said, and I said that to Don. I said, Don, I've done everything I can. I've taken the store. It's um, doubled its business. You and others have told me that this store's never done that. Don, I just don't feel I can do any more. I've done everything I can for you. Now, he was really mad at me. He told me I was a quitter. He called me all kinds of names. That's fine. As a Christian, you're going to have to be a bigger person than that. You're going to have to understand you're going to be ridiculed for trying to be righteous. So I said, well, Don, I just need you to know I'm giving my two weeks notice to you. I'm not just going to drop you, but I, I, I've got to look out for my family. And I can make $3,000 more a year here at the dealership. And it's not on um, commission. And my hours are more set and I don't have to do Saturdays. And I've been working about 75, 80 hours a week now for three years. I need a little more time with the family. So... I appreciate the chance you gave me. Blah, 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 blah. We made you, darling, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, thanks for the chance, Don. And gave my two-week notice, and I moved on. I got to the dealership, and uh, it's a whole different kind of auto parts. Every GM part has a number out after about that long. Guys would just walk up to the counter, and these guys, they aren't very pleasant guys. And they'd walk up, and they'd drop something on the counter and go, I need one of those. Well, there's 20, there's millions of parts for GM cars and Cadillacs and Oldsmobiles. And like, well, what did it come off of? Oh, you mean i got to tell you? Well, it's helpful to know the make and the model of the car. So this is no lie. Okay, mechanics make money by being able to get their part and get it on faster than the book says they get time to do it. That means the first person in the whole ballgame here is me, the parts guy, finding the part, delivering the part to them. So they can get their job done. So it's often a whole lot of pressure. These guys aren't often, some, at least the guys I worked with, they weren't very kind. They weren't considerate. They'd swear at you, etc. But I understood, and I'm going to get to this in just a moment, that I was serving my master and that I was working for a higher purpose. So you know what I'd do? When there was nobody there, I'd turn to my friend Mike, who's also a Christian, and say, Mike... Just make something up. Make up a part you need because I'm going to practice until I am the fastest guy finding the part. And there was a guy in that department who was 68 and had worked with GM cars for 40 years. I got faster in three months than he was in 40 years. Because I practiced. Because I took it serious. Because I knew, you know what, Lord? I want to have an impact on these men for Christ. 
I don't want to just skate by, just do all, oh, just do the bare essentials and whine and complain. I want to be a halogen light for Christ. And that leads me to my next and last point. How you do your job, how you work, has a great impact on others for Christ and the gospel. In Titus chapter 2, it says this. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them. Don't talk back to them and don't steal from them, but show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. I grew up, uh, I mean, my children grew up. And, and many of you know my four children here. Grew up, we had a little household model, and it was this. Our life's mission, make Christ attractive to the world. Now, of course, there's more to it than that. We want to make disciples. We want to plant churches. I mean, I, I don't have time to go into that, but a simple little phrase, make Christ attractive to the world. And the way you dress, the way you carry yourself, the way you look, the way you are, the way you behave, your attitude, your spirit, your perspective, your work ethic, make Christ attractive to the world. Make the teaching of God, our Savior, attractive. People ought to see you. They ought to experience you and say, what is with that person in a good way? I want to know more. Your life ought to legitimize the teaching of Jesus Christ. It ought to add a buff and a shine. Luster, as one version says, I'll read it to you here, guides slaves into being loyal workers, a bonus to their master. No backtalk, no petty thievery. Then their good character will shine through their actions, adding luster to the teaching of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. How you do your job has tremendous influence. Tremendous influence. I'll never forget, I was working you know, at this first auto parts store I was telling you about. And um, they, they regularly had these sales competitions. And I was never really, to be honest, really into the sales competitions because a lot of guys, they would pad the competition. They would go to their customer and load them, give them 30, 60 day billing so it looked good for the, the, the competition. Then they'd go and bring the product back to the store. See? So I was like, it's kind of like taking steroids. I wasn't going to play the game that way. Secondly, some of the sales they had, like, you know, if you sold 12 boxes of spark plugs, you'd get so much extra money. I'm like... But my customer doesn't need 12 boxes sitting on his shelf. So I developed this mentality of trying to help these guys. Most of them were their own little shops out in the country. These guys were just trying to make a living. So I was really trying to do what was best for them, whether it was get them batteries so they had them on stock. Because usually with a battery, when a person comes in, they need it. You sell it if you have it. If they have to wait, they go somewhere else. Unless the car just won't run. Then they're kind of stuck there. I'll never forget going to this big sales meeting thing, this outing. And um, I had just taken a stand. And again, I'll get to this in a couple of weeks to develop for the story of learning to stand up for what's morally right on your job. Because um, we are to work hard and we're to be loyal and we're to do all that's asked of us except that which is unrighteous. And do it with a good attitude because you're serving Christ. Well, I received this big box of calendars and they were... Basically, basically it was a soft porn calendar. 
The woman wasn't nude, but it was extremely provocative. So I got these calendars. I came in one morning. They were on the truck. And uh, I opened the box. I thought, before I opened the box, I said, hey, great. Finally something to give to my customer. Because that was the other thing. All the other stores, they gave all this stuff to their customers. And my company was really cheap. Well, I opened them up. So I didn't call Don, my boss, because this guy was... This guy was really, really mean. <clears throat> and, and he was very unreasonable. I called the vice president of the company. I went right to the top. And I knew he kind of liked me. He was much older, but he kind of he liked me. So I called him in Cedar Rapids, and I said, Kenny, I said, um, how are you today? He said, I'm all right, Mark. How are you? I said, well, this is Kenny. I'm doing all right. But I said, I got a little dilemma, and I said, I need to talk it over with you. He said, well, what's that? He said, well... I got these calendars in the mail today, Kenny. <clears throat> and I said, you know, I started with you for about a year ago, right? And he goes, yeah, Mark, you sure have, and you've done a good job. I said, well, thank you, Kenny. I said, but listen, the reason the store is doing well, better, is because of the reputation I built with the customer. And I believe in a, in a high moral standard. That doesn't mean that I haven't, you know, made mistakes. I'm not saying I'm perfect in every way, but I'm just saying I knew my reputation was on the line. And I said, you know, I got these calendars today. And he goes, what do you mean? Didn't you get the antique cars? I said, no, these don't look like cars. I said, Kenny, let me put it another way. I sell auto parts, not lingerie. And so I just do not feel it would reflect well on me to hand these out. I'd be glad to send them back. You do whatever you want with them, but I'm not going to hand them out here. He goes, Mark, you send them back. You were supposed to get... I had special box of antique cars printed just for you because I knew you wouldn't hand them out. See, God was testing me. And the next morning, my direct boss, who lived in Marshalltown, he got a call from Kenny, the vice president, and he didn't take too kindly to me going over his head. He was at my store this far from my face, spittle coming out of his mouth, yelling and screaming at me, and you blankety-blank will pass out those calendars. And I looked at him and I said, Don, I said, I will not pass out the calendars and neither will anybody in this store. He goes, I'll fire you. I said, you know what, Don? Then you can fire me, but let me remind you, you make a pretty sizable commission off of this store, and I've doubled your business on a monthly basis. If you want to lose that, fire me. But I'm going to hand out the calendars. You blankety blank blank, and he grabs the calendars and he leaves. Five days later, I have to take my wife, I really had to, to this big sales outing. And I walk into a room full of all these guys with their wives, and there's this one guy who was one of the top salesmen, he was drunk, really drunk. And I'm not, frankly, in fact, Frankly, that's the first time I'd ever been around a drunk person. I've been around people drinking. I've never been around anybody drunk. And I come walking in with Kathy, and he shouts out over the whole room, Oh, there's Mr. Holier Than Thou and his woman. Now, there's this instinct that rises in a man when you've humiliated his woman, and it's, I'm going to take your eyes and squish them out of your head, and then I'm going to stomp you into the floor. <clears throat> and I could feel that rising in me. I really could. And then I thought, okay, wait a minute. Why am I doing this job? I'm doing it to make Christ attractive. I'm doing it 
because I'm trying to impact the world. So the whole room was now staring at me. And I said really kind of in a hushed but very loud tone, Holy! No one here is supposed to know how holy I am. And you just had to be there. And it was funny at the time. And there was this nervous ha ah, laughter. So I went right over and sat down and put my arm around him. I said, Wally, what's going on, man? He goes, oh, darling, you're this and you're that. And, you know, you think you're all better than all of us? And I said, Wally, I don't think I'm better. You know, now I'm talking quiet. I said, I don't think I'm better than you at all, Wally. He goes, well, you didn't hand out from calendars. I said, I just couldn't, Wally. You know, I felt my, my personal reputation was on the line. Well, as the evening went by, I went over to the corner to my wife. I said, you know what, Kathy? If Jesus was here, I've been asking myself this whole time, if Jesus were here, what would he do? What would he do? What would he do? Because we've got to be here. <clears throat> and, we, and for a minute we thought, well, he'd preach. <laughs> I said, no, that's not what he'd do. <clears throat> he turned water into wine. That's what he did. I said, so you know what we're going to do, Kathy? We're going to spread out here. And I said, have you noticed there's all these half-empty bottles of alcohol and cans, and this room's a mess. You and I, we're going to be the waiter and waitress, and we're going to clean this room up. And we're going to offer people ice for their drink if they want. We'll give them a little refill if they want. We're going to get them some food if they want. So we're walking around the next hour, we're doing this. Later on, over in the corner, is where all the stuff was stacked. The president comes over and his wife. She says, Mark... We've been coming to these for 45 years. This is the nicest thing anybody's ever done. No one's ever done this before. Next thing I know, everybody's kind of over in our corner. We're just talking. And I'm convinced to this day that more people at that party drank less than they actually usually did because we controlled the flow. They just didn't realize it. And we brought order where there was disorder. We brought service where there was none. We brought joy where there was no joy. We brought light where there was darkness. <clears throat> a week later, a week later, I get a phone call. And it's Wally, the guy who dissed me and disrespected me and my wife. And he knew it. <clears throat> he calls me on the phone. It's a Saturday morning. I had to be at work. And he was from Newton, Iowa, which was a good distance from Ames. <clears throat> and he says to me, Mark, first thing, I want to apologize to you for what I did to you and your wife said, hey, forget it. Forget it, man. I, I, I understood you were under the influence a little bit. He goes, no, there's no excuse. He said, the last person's friendship I want to lose is yours. He said, Mark, you are, you baffle me. He said, you've come along, you've come out of nowhere. You didn't know anything about honor parts. You're one of the top salesmen for the company. You, you won't hand out the calendars, but then you're walking around helping, serving all of us a drink, taking care of all of us. He said, I want to know what you have. Will you get in your car and drive over to my home in Newton, Iowa this afternoon? I said, I'll be there. It took me an hour and a half to get there, and I spent three hours sharing Christ with he and his wife. He said, Mark, this is my fourth marriage. I got two kids that have out-of-wedlock births. I got another one. In juvenile delinquency, and he accepted Christ. And I could tell you many stories similar. Listen to me. Your work matters to God. How you do your job. I don't care if it's a floor sweeper, or a nurse, or a baker. If you're a lawyer, if you're a school teacher, if you're a homemaker. 
Whatever you're doing, do it with all your heart. Do it the best you can do it. Remember that you're honoring God and He's going to reward you in heaven and other people are watching and you're having influence on the world in which you live and you're making Christ attractive. You're making the transforming power of Jesus Christ attractive. And I'm going to end with this. I'll, you guys, I could just go on and on tonight. I've got to end with this. How many of you have ever wished to yourself, man, I wished I lived when Jesus was on the planet. I just wished that I could have seen him do a miracle or see him touch somebody or talk to him. Guess what? Guess what? Now, this is very important that you understand this. Christ is still living on the planet. Christ is still living the planet inside of you. And his plan was that there would be literally millions of little Christs walking around the planet in whom he could be seen through the way that you are dressing yourself in Christ's likeness. And the world sees him. And that gives everything you do revolutionary significance. And it impacts how you behave, your perspective, and it brings a sense of real meaning and satisfaction to whatever it is you do, whether it's pumping gas, pouring coffee, waiting on tables, whatever it is. Remember, who you work for, do it with all your heart and a great enthusiastic attitude. Remember how you do your job has a great impact on others for Christ and the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you, Lord, tonight that you do everything you do with all your heart. That's an exciting thing to know, Lord. You love us with all your heart. You answer our prayers with all your heart. You watch over us with all your heart. You don't sort of like, you know, this father who the other day just decided, I am going to go do something really stupid and leave my kid in the car and let him freeze. You don't get bored with us. You aren't half-hearted towards us. You give everything you have 100% every second of every day. And Lord, uh, you know, we're human and we falter and we fail. But, oh, God, I pray that you would drive home to us that how we do our job really matters and that our job really matters that our work really matters whether we're a baggage handler at a bus station or at the airport or we sweep the floors or we clean the bathrooms or we wait behind the ticket counter whatever it is we do God it's spiritual it greatly matters to you help us to do it in such a way that the world sees Christ that you're made more attractive Help us to remember, we're going to get paid so much for it, Lord in heaven. And it's going to make us so much more valuable in a practical sense to the individuals we work for. Bless each person here in Jesus' name. Amen.